Ember Rice Got Young, Pat Facilli, and Patricia Raskin, the next wave of women. The world leader in Internet talk radio. Internet talk radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome to Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of Valerie, her guests, and callers. Now here's your host, Valerie Kirkgaard. You know, this is what I sound like with laryngitis, in case you were ever wondering. You are listening to Wake Up, Waking Up in America, and we're a radio ma- magazine for the intelligent world, and we invite you to be with us today and listen to a really intriguing conversation from Helen Samuels. Problem is, she's in Mexico City, and we're having trouble getting there. So we want you to call your friends. This is a great opportunity for you to take a few moments and call your friends, because I'm going to have the operator pull it off. George is going to take over first, and he's going to do his segment, which is leadership. And um, George is real good at that, and so he's going to lead this time while I'm actually trying to find out how to get through to um, Ellen in in Mexico City. We have we'll be having with us today Cherie Ross of the Essential Oils. We'll have Maureen O'Cream, the diva. Lisa Molson is in travel. So we're just going to have to imagine her tips about creating strong families. And Debbie Ringchop will be on offering you a new financial future. And right now, George is going to take over, and I'm going to go see if I can find Helen. Take care. George. Thank you, Val. Today I wanted to talk about the bedrock foundation of leadership is that leaders believe the mission that they're on, that whether they're leading a for-profit organization, a not-for-profit foundation, uh, whether it is a large group or a small group, they do have an abiding belief that they are doing something that will make a difference, that will have an impact far beyond just the addition of the people that are part of the organization. It's some sense of of serving a higher purpose, and even in the work that we do in the corporate world, we find that as we worked with a telecommunications company that was involved with the voice messaging process, that rather than talk about the technology, talk about the specific service that was being provided, we engage the leadership team and then a broader group in a conversation about what's the benefit to society with a voice messaging system. And they realized that what they were doing was helping people connect. And they were able to connect with, with voice, the tone, the, the lightness in the voice. There's so much of a difference between a message done over the telephone versus a message done via email, which is just the words. And that ability to connect anytime, anywhere, without having to connect directly with the person at that moment in time. So it was about connecting people so that we would be better able to communicate when we were able to connect real time. So that greater purpose, connecting people. Now the technology just became became the way it was done, 
and their particular service offerings became the different options for it. But the general purpose was to fulfill the purpose of connecting people. I'm a member of Rotary International, and in Rotary, the slogan is service above self, which says when we are of service to others, and and Rotary's been involved... Hello? Hello? Yes, and Rotary has been involved in eradicating polio around the world. They're providing opportunities uh, for wheelchairs to people in developing countries. They are actively involved in drilling water wells. Let me just give you a quick insert here, George. We're getting a busy signal. We're at work on it. We're going to do a break-in call, and we're going to get Helen Samuels on today, okay? So just keep going. (laughs) Thanks, Val. So Rotary is also involved in drilling oil wells and providing water filtration so that people have clean water. And you see, that's part of the sharing of our abundance, but in local communities, Rotarians are there picking up trash, are doing service projects in support of kids in urban uh, educational systems, providing mentors in uh, school systems. They're there providing service to others without an expectation that they get anything financially back from it. And how do you engage a group that are all volunteers? and really build their energy for doing things that they might not see any particular outcome in the short term. And we found that it's that greater purpose, service above self. When we are of service to others, we can be making a difference in small and large ways, and when we do it together, there's no way that we can know the impact that this will have on the quality of life throughout the world. But we're committed to that purpose, improving the quality of life around the world. And each country that moves from that dictatorship, like Afghanistan, like Iraq, into a democratic, open country, the Rotary International Clubs start popping up again. And there is a... uh, Rotary Club now in Kabul and in Baghdad and in other places in Iraq. So those are leaders in their professions, business people, teachers, governmental leaders who are coming together to provide service above self, service in the local area to help others, and more broadly, service in the world to help shift the world in a positive direction. I got it, George. Great. So when you're ready, I don't mean to keep interrupting you, but we've got it when you're ready. So as you look at your roles, what greater purpose are you committed to? And how can you describe it in a way so that other people can connect with their own talents, their own capabilities, their own initiatives? And when we're connected around that greater purpose, that's when we really get the synergies that come from true leadership because we've attracted folks, we've added energy to the process, and what people are able to do goes far beyond what any individual thought might be possible. So I will hand this back now to Val, 
And Val, at the end, I would like to uh, share a, a story with our listeners about a gift that we received from God. Well, I that would just be a totally excellent idea. Do I have Helen here? Helen? Yeah. Hi. Hi, we did it. And that bravo. Was, you're going to give George Rachevsky a big bravo, too, because he jumped in and took over while I was looking <laughs> for you. Now, I met Helen. Trunk lines are busy. Yes. I met Helen through Lindsay Wagner, and she kept telling me I had to meet her, I had to meet her, and this has been going on for about a year. Finally, we were doing a little TV taping one Saturday, and I met her, and I was struck by the fact that she sounds a lot like me to Melanie Griffith, and then she was also running around the room with more energy than anybody there, and I said, so what do you do in the world? And you said, hmm, Tikio, that's one of the things you said. That's right. <laughs> then you said the fourth sector, too. Oh. And and it's like, I didn't know where you got all your energy, but I knew you must be something doing something really good. So people can actually go to your website at helensamuels.com, right? It's actually www.tekio.net. Oh, dot .net? All right, hop over there while you're listening to this interview. And also another correction needs to be made. Jennifer Butler is actually going to be on next week. So we got our schedules a little bit whacked here. But this is a very special interview with a very special lady, and we'll be having her back. So, Helen, I was wondering if you could give people just a little bit of your background. Yes, uh, well, basically, I was raised in Mexico. I arrived when I was five. My mother had a scholarship to study with Diego Rivera, the muralist, so we started our lives down here, and as I grew, I learned to love the country so much, and um, then I had a daughter, and when I had a daughter, I started thinking, what do teenagers do, and how are they working, and I started seeing a lot of inequities around, a lot of young people full of ideas and full of wantingness to do things, and um, the basic developers were not really interested in them because they weren't what, what, you know, the standards that people were looking for, yet they were so creative that I started giving them tools and do-it-yourself things, and before you know it, I became very involved with many, many youth groups and uh, seeded many of them that are now full-blown and many of them grown up in do-it-yourself things. Uh, you know, if if the developers don't come there, the education doesn't come there, you have to invent your own life, your own world. So that's what I did, give them tools. That is a pretty amazing story. Even today, I do a show just on Diego Rivera. that alone would be interesting but then tell us about the organization that you created and I know that you have a mission of sustainable education and restorative training and things of that nature but that sounds very um, kind of like um, annual reportish and I know you're very much a woman from the heart so I'm wondering what you've been looking at and what you've been doing okay one of my biggest things is that I would like to mention the fourth sector. It's sort of like the fourth world, and it's important because it's the largest, fastest growing sector of humanity on Earth. It's the the youth from 12 to 29 who are becoming more than half of the planet already. 
Hello? We're here. Your voice seems to be warbling a little. Oh, it's the, it's it's because I'm unfortunately on the cell phone. That's all okay, I well, stay in that direction that you're facing right now. It's perfect. Okay, I'll be right here. So anyway, what happened is that um, uh, there's thousands and th- hundreds of thousands of young men and young women who are reaching productive age at this time in our life, and they have no idea what to do to have a sustainable life and to have work that is not only sustaining them but doesn't destroy the planet in the process. So what we're doing is we're making a massive outreach uh, through web, through youth networks. Our website is not what it's going to be in two months, folks. So give me a break and check it now and check it in two months because we're having a massive search engine put in. Uh, in this, the era of communications, the era of information, when information is the currency, we are creating an info bank and asking for currency. We're asking for people to donate replicable, copyable, uh, do-it-yourself projects, all the way from capturing water, all the way from, you know, how to build a community, how to uh, construct with a natural uh, elements, how to construct with waste elements, whatever it is that people feel that they can give as a, uh, information to youth. Youth are picking up on it all over the world. I, I'm in English right now, and it's really interesting because I keep getting uh, letters from, you know, Uganda, from Laos, from all kinds of places around the world with young people saying, we have nothing like this here. Please put more information in. So... We're about to inaugurate a world, world, uh, we're trying to reach 1.8 billion views. Well, i got some people yeah. to help you. One of them is Tess Scacciatore of World Trust. She's, she's creating um, diplomats amongst youngsters to foreign countries and such. Wow. Uh, I'm sure she's got a huge base for you. And, you know, a lot of the ecological stuff, you could probably find out. Peter Lavote has taken over for Dennis Weaver. But Dennis right. Weaver is all about ecology, and I, there are just a well of information. I know. He helped us when we first started in the Earth Crew. Well, we did a few little things together with Earth Communications Office and a few others. Well, I think it's time to reconnect. Right. And the interesting thing about this is that I swim and travel and live in the youth networks. I'm not mainstream at all. So that's allowed me to, to reach young people, even young people who don't know how to read. We have groups that download the information, and they go as volunteers deep into the Sierras, or we work with the garbage pickers, we work with the indigenous kids, we work with the city kids, and, and they're all, so even the street kids, you know, uh-huh. they bring them, they're, they're niños de la calle, children of the street, on Thursday, and on Sunday, the niños de la tierra, children of the earth, with something to offer and something to receive and something to do. It's all a concept of not feeling they have anything to be a part of. And when they realize that they have much to do and they can do, and, and that's marketable amongst themselves, even if it's trade, it, it's, it's, it's an eye-opener. Yeah, I, I hear that. Uh, let me. We've got a number of editors on the team that I would love to have them have the opportunity to ask you a question about what, or have a response to what you've been saying. So, Cherie Ross, do you have a response to what you're hearing from Helen Samuels? Sir, Cherie actually does the essential oils, Helen. Okay, great. Are you there, Cherie? Yes, I am. Can you hear me okay? I can. A little crackly, but, you know. I can hear. Go for it. 
Cherie, where'd you go? Don't tell me. Okay, is this better? Um, keep turning as you're talking. Okay, <laughs> how's that? Is that better? Keep turning a little more. All right. Is, what better. I was wondering what the biggest obstacles are that you've had to face so far. Interestingly enough, the biggest obstacle that we've had to face is lack of space. When young people don't have a home, when they live in the streets, when they try to congregate to make plans, and people say, you can't come here and you can't go there, and we don't like people with tattoos and move along and scrounge looking garbage people. And when, when they don't have a physical space, if we create a space, they fill it. They fill it with work, with projects, with ideas. And, and uh, it's very difficult. So oftentimes we end up, you know, meeting in subways and meeting in, you know, abandoned parking lots or, you know, space worldwide. Young people want space, but not only space. They want a space where they can be who they are and do the things the way they do. You know, oftentimes they have to cut their hair to get a regular job. They don't want to cut their hair. You know, they, ha- they want to be participants, but they want, it to do- they want to do it their way. We have hip-hop music going on all the time. You know, it's just, it's just their own wavelength, and, and they want to be able to express it. Expressing is a, a great thing, and when young people can't express what they want to do, it becomes you, you, they either, you know, uh, create a lot of good or they create a lot of trouble, but they have to create. Oh, you know? that's great. Um, we're going to see if we can slip a couple more questions in here. That was a great question, Cherie. Um, Debbie or Maureen, um, a question for our lady here. This is Debbie Ringtop um, on the finance side. I had a question as far as how you go about getting some of the funds to help the people out. Okay. Uh, that's been a little bit of an issue because um, most of the young people I work with, they have a sort of ethics that they have chosen and they don't want to be funded by a government or by religious organizations or by major transnationals. I've even had, I won't mention any names, but major uh, transnationals that say, hey, we'll fund them if they only wear T-shirts or whatever it is. And, and the young people say, no, we want to be funded by people that really care and are partners with us, people that, you know, take the time to get on an airplane, come in down, see what we're doing, people that really want to do something in the world. They, they, they don't want to feel – it's very strange because, I mean, they could really use a lot of the funds that have been offered to them. Even one time when uh, PBS did a show on us, they stipulated that they would do it as long as it wouldn't it wouldn't be sponsored by like ten people they said, and PBS said nobody's ever told us who can sponsor or not. This is like something totally new. But the kids pulled it off. They pulled it off. They had the producer sign the paper. I was on long distance phone calls with the churches all over the world, and they said, "How dare they?" And well, they did it. <laughs> it's a force to contend with. I'll tell you, I love it. Wow. Yeah. So that that's one of my issues. So usually we get funded by. Godmothers, godfathers, angels, um, individuals really care, well, and a few foundations ha- uh, that that are on the same track of you know stepped up to the plate. That's absolutely great. Um, we we have time for one more question. Um, actually, maybe two if it's fast. Uh, George, do you have a fast one? I do. What does tikio mean? Oh, beautiful! I'm so glad you asked. Tequio is the word in Nahuatl, which is the local indigenous peoples of the high plains of Mexico, the Aztecs and the Otomis, 
And it means our gift to the community, but it really translates to hard work. It's when people take time out of their lives to do something above and beyond their own life that makes the community a better and safer place for this and the next generation. And it's sort of like the raising of the barn kind of thing. But it really means that these young people feel that their their work is offering a better life to the future, and yet one of the ways that they study, they take courses, is that they do service to the people who give a course, and they're giving their service, but the people from the course are giving their classes to them, and it's an exchange of PECU. It's an exchange of our gift to the community. So, Maureen, do you have a question? Are you on? I love what you're doing, so congratulations. And what can we do to spread the word and to help you? Well, uh, one of the most important things is is that once I launch my website, uh, which we're hoping to launch at the beginning of March, uh, if you can get it to as many organizations as you know, we'll be asking them for information donations, and I know that there will be a lot of things. We're also... Um, we're seeking high-tech people that want to do videos of young people's projects so they can share it online and if they want to come on board. Uh, we're looking for a bit of funding right now, just a web going on time, but that's like, you know, just putting it out to the universe kind of thing. But mostly just to really know and see what we're doing and find out what the young people are doing. All over the world there's thousands of young people that are really reaching out to people saying, hey, I'm here, can you mentor me a little bit on some kind of situation? So right now our biggest thing is just find mentors and young people that can link in. You know, people, young people in the, in the United States have a, a sort of a syndrome that because their basic needs are, are handled, the very basic needs, they don't have that burning desire to change things. And I've had a lot of young people from the States come down and it totally switches their panorama. So if you know of young people that might want to come down and do some social tourism, it would be great, too, you know? Well, you said something. Is it, as I, <laughs> my voice here is a little weird. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> do it. That's not the Val I met. <laughs> I don't know. It's, actually, I, I'll tell my story later. I did this screaming for the, my cat. My cat got got chomped up and killed by a coyote this weekend, and it got me screaming a lot. Um, you have a do-it-yourself information bank. What is that? Okay, that um, had started off and our engine wasn't just right, but now we're getting some real masters coming in. This is what it is. Uh, people from the Permaculture Institute, Institute from Bioregionalism, Echo Village Networks, uh, people from various universities all over the world, we're sending out emails and we're having them fill our banks with PDFs, just even one-pagers, and we have a search engine that's going to separate it by region, by water, by earth, by social, all that kind of stuff. And the young people are going on to that info bank and downloading the copies, whatever they want, and they become teachers instantly. We don't have the time to wait to 1.8 billion youth get to college to find out what to do with the planet. No, we have you to don't. start working today. So we want to socialize information, get it out there. You probably need oh, some new computers what? too, huh? Uh, yeah, that we have six um, PCs and one Mac. Real computers really help because you know what we do? 
we rotate them. We even have a couple computers in the favelas, and we have a cafe internet next to the garbage dump. And, you know, we're, we're, technology, anything that can help us in that area would be great. I heard of some guys, I'm trying to track them down, that can build uh, internet uh, zones with out of uh, recycled materials, so I'm trying to track them down. Oh, great. Um, Tiffy Hedren's been on our show, and she said, please don't give us old computers. And I'm going to say, anybody out there listening, give these people new computers so they don't spend half their time going crazy. Yeah, I've carried carried many old computers across, only to find out that the parts are totally out of date that we couldn't Yeah, new stuff. So many. They need new stuff, and 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 it's our future that we're talking about, and I'm just... So honored that you're here today, Helen. Wow. And um, I want to put you on again when the so that the word gets out, you know, in a couple oh. months when your website yeah. starts. But it's like send people to your website again. It's tko.net, right? Right. And my, my email is helen at techio.net. Would you spell that, please? A-T-L-E-N at T-E-K-I-O dot N-E-T. You got it. So anybody okay, else? I wanted to thank the people who are listening. I, I think it's awesome that they're taking time from their valuable days and, and listening because it's very important that we learn to communicate other means than the regular channels, you know? I have one last question for you before you get off the air. Yeah? How old are you? Oh, my gosh. Well, I am a 60-year-old with a Peter Pan complex. I would, I would energetic-wise, I would put you at 30. Maybe 25. <laughs> I have never seen anybody with the energy that you have, and I am so grateful that you have that energy. Wow. Well, you can't I, be around kids so much and not get contagious. Yeah, this woman is actually, because of this energy she has, she's doing the work of two or three ordinary human beings. It's, <laughs> it's like trying to track a firefly, being in the same room with Helen. And, well, I know that that's my greatest resource. I and as and what you're doing with these kids and stuff, I'm sure it's giving you your youth. I mean, I expect to see you around in another 50 years. Wow, thank you, Val. And I think that's the gift of what you're doing. I don't think your gift was just that you had the energy automatically. I think that you opened up your heart and you fed yourself the right food. That's what it is. Of thought and heart. I am heart. so thrilled. I made a commitment 20 years ago, and, you know, every morning I wake up, the commitment is as fresh as it was the first time. What was your commitment? Um, well, a young friend of my daughter's got killed from a gang, and it was just a big shock to us because we had nothing to do with that kind of world. And when I went and found out all the stuff that was going on, I just made a commitment to, to do something about it, to really, really get in and do something about it. And it just kept leading me all these different directions, you know. But part of it is all my, my spirit of commitment to service I've had since a child. You know, when Ashoka, I'm an Ashoka fellow, when they asked me, okay, you have to tell us your formula, and I tried to write a few things. They said, no, this, 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 what's your real formula? I say, well, I wake up in the morning and I ask creator if I go left or right. That's my formula, okay? <laughs> Perfect. Helen and Samuels, it was trip finding you in Mexico City, but we did it. Yeah. This call has been happening from Mexico City. I am so grateful that you were here on Earth doing the work that you were doing, and uh, I know the team does too. And we'll talk to you again soon. God love you. Okay, great. And we'll be streaming from the Mexico water event. We have an alternative water event in Mexico City, so we'll be streaming from it. So if you get into our web later, you can find out. Can, she just, can they get this off your website? 
in March. You will have it all at the beginning of March. Okay, thank you. Okay, well, love all of you, and thanks a lot. Muchas gracias. Gracias. Todos, por todos. Por todos. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Val. Thanks. You're welcome. Ooh, Debbie Ringchop. Ooh. I know the final Roth regulations are here, but, you know, like, oh, my God. Um, that's what Debbie's about today, her, her, your doctor for money. So what have you got for us this afternoon? Thanks, Val. At long last, the final Roth regulations are here. This is Debbie Ringchop, your doctor for money, with today's segment on Retirement Rescue. There's a new form of IRA available starting with 2006, and it's called a designated Roth retirement plan available to your employers. This much-anticipated final regulation finally came about, and it's regarding your 401K and M plans. It was announced January 3rd. The designated Roth contributions allow employees to designate all or a portion of their Section 401K employee deep deferrals as a Roth contribution, which means it's going to receive treatment much like a Roth IRA, but it's in your employer's plan, and it will be money contributed after tax, but the qualified distributions of the contribution and the earnings are going to be tax-free. So... How are you going to know if you can get into one of these designated Roth plans at work? It's up to your employer, of course. (laughs) There are a lot of new rules that they're going to have to follow. The employer is required to maintain a separate account and record keeping for your funds, how much is contributed, how much is earned, how much it costs to manage the funds, and determinations on excess contributions or distributions. So they must offer both a pre-tax 401k in order to offer this new after-tax designated Roth, and you're still limited to the same maximum contribution, say 6% of your income, for your entire retirement plan. It's just you might be able to split it or put it all in the new after-tax. So rollovers have to still stay within a qualified after-tax designation, so if you have a rollover from one of these new Roths that has to go into another Roth, whether it's a before-tax in company to an after-tax excuse me, an after tax in company to an after-tax out of company or from company to company, it still needs to stay, stay in the same before-tax or after-tax designation. The other thing is with the Roth, just like before, you can't take out money before the first five taxable years from the time you first create that Roth account. Now, the great thing here is that the new plan allows you to grow and withdraw your money tax-free, yet it still falls under a lot of regulated guidelines. There's no money matching that, in other words, the company can't do a match on the money you put in. It's limited to the investment strategies that the employer sets up for the plan, And there's direct rollover restrictions, maximum contribution limitations, things like that. Keep in mind, the portion of income that you contribute to the designated Roth is going to be included in your taxable income on your W-2, but you're not going to see it in your take-home paycheck. You're asking the employer to hold and manage your funds after tax. The, th- the thing I think is going to be really tricky here is determining how much can be tri- contributed and how much can be after tax or how much tax you're actually going to have to pay. Like a Roth IRA, 
the designated Roth contribution has to take into account the ADP, which is the actual deferral percentage test, that limits the contributions for highly compensated employees. People that are making a lot of money are not allowed to get into specific you know, Roth accounts. Well, if too much money is directed into a designated Roth at work, which would be allowing the money to grow tax-free, well, that excess amount would be treat, not be treated as an investment in the contract. So your employer isn't necessarily going to know how much your gross earnings are from all your sources of income. And if the adjustments aren't made prior to April 15th when the taxes are due for the prior year, tax year, you might be subject to some kind of limitations here. Anything in the account after April 15th, that money becomes irrevocably stuck in the designated Roth. So I think the question is going to be, what are going to be the tax implications on that excess money, and how are they going to track it? To close, the final regulations that just came out don't provide guidance yet with respect to the taxation of distributions of designated Roth contributions nor have they specifically addressed the safety or return of your principal in the investments. The proposed regulations under this Section 402A says that they're going to address this in the near future. So we don't know what's really coming down for the final picture, but keep an eye on what's going on at work. Maybe it's still better to go ahead and pay your taxes and manage your own non-qualified tax-free accounts. We've talked about them before. So this was Debbie Ringchop with uh, your Doctor for Money. This segment was part of Retirement Rescue. May you take control of your future, become your own bank, and enjoy the great riches you all deserve. You can direct questions to Debbie at wakingupinamerica.com or call us toll-free at 866-RADIO-99. Have a great day. Thanks, Deb. Also, check out our website and please sign up on our mailing list so we can let you know of any of the new guests that are coming up or anything exciting that comes across our desk. You'll get a once-a-week email. And for those of you who thought Jennifer Butler was on today, there was a a mix-up there. Helen Samuels is, and Jennifer Butler will be on next week. And, uh, boy, are you in for a treat. This woman is amazing. Um, Visit our website at wakingupatamerica.com, and you can... You can click on our Race for the Rainforest and, you know, American prairies or uh, oceans of the world. You click on any of those, and we save them, and there's no cost to you. Every click is worth about seven square feet, and a sponsor backs up your click. So make it a regular thing to do for yourself. And George Richeski, you have two minutes to tell your story. Thanks, Val. Um, last year we were told as a family that our father, our, my dad, uh, had esophageal cancer, and it was likely to uh, the outcome of having been a lifelong smoker and an alcoholic. And when we found that out, we started telling folks about it, and I shared it with the other members of the radio team to include my dad in their prayers, in our faith tradition, and I'm a convert to Catholicism, I went to uh, our, well, a church group that I'm involved in, and I offered shared prayer, it's prayer in public to uh, the faith community to help the healing of my dad. And they added him to other prayer lists. 
Well, yesterday my dad visited the radiologist, and after a course of treatment of radiation and chemotherapy, uh, he was unable to see any remnant of the t- tumor at all. It is as if there, it never existed. So it was the very best outcome that we could have expected. My dad is uh, 81 years old now and is living a joyful, sober life that also came from a series of shared prayers and prayer uh, chains where he was given the strength through God to take the step to become sober, and now he has been healed of that esophageal cancer. It sounds like he was redeemed, doesn't it? And he is living a joyful life. He lives in an assisted living center. Most of the people there are women. He is one of the younger people there, and he's become their social director. He makes sure that they get up, that they get dressed, that they've had breakfast, that they've had their pills, that they get involved in some activity throughout the day. And the staff at the assisted living center when we talk with them, says, your dad is such a gift because he energizes everybody else around him. Thank you, George. Thank you for having that, Father, and thank, thank you for telling such a good story. Our, our wonderful traveling Indian, Lisa Molson, is on the travel again. She's actually in a plane now as we speak. So Lisa Molson's segment is about family matters. <clears throat> And I'd just like to take this opportunity to say that Lisa travels and does the things that she does, and she lives her life in an extraordinary way. I've been at her house on occasions. Actually, it just occurred to me that maybe this is how Carol Channing got her wonderful voice. I so admire her. Probably it was for moments like this. So Lisa will be back with us next week, and we look forward to having her. Uh, This is Dr. Val Kirkgaard. I'm sending you to our website at wakingupinamerica.com and asking you to sign up for the Race for the Rainforest and also, excuse me, to um, put your name on our mailing list and help us spread the word about waking up in America. Most people say the, the biggest problem that we have is that people don't know that this show exists. So anything you could do to help if you want to send us um, mailing list of people and your organizations that might want to do this, might want to listen to the show, please let us know. And um, it's time for my segment. <laughs> hey, Dr. Val, this is Cherie. Hey, Cherie. I um, was just going to offer you a little bit of help quick for your sore throat. Are you Can you do it quickly? Yeah, lemon. Just put lemon oil on it. Oh, I've actually oil? been using lemon juice, but I should go for the lemon oil? Lemon oil, rub it on your throat, yes. Oh, that is totally fabulous. So i I got to tell my little story, and then Cherie is going to do her thing. Because part of the reason I have this sound in my voice is that I don't really want to get into why I have this sound in my voice, but it's like I think my voice will get better when I tell you all that I lost my very favorite cat to a coyote this weekend. And it was an amazing adventure of a neighbor saving my cat's body so that he wasn't dragged off into the wilderness by the coyote. And it was just a remarkable story about her courage. It was my son going down. None of us, I'm a great one to want to avoid the moment of death. I'll do everything around it, but not the moment of death. And my son picked up our cat in his shirt and carried him up the hill and didn't want me to look at him because his jaw had been broken and 
the coyote had grabbed him by the head and had punctured his jugular vein and uh, his eye. And it was like, these were not pretty things to look at. And yet I knew that if I dealt with what was really real here, was that somebody precious to me was taken in a violent way on a full moon on the night of the hunter. And I realized that this whole thing, as I went through it, had to do with the fact that, in a sense, this cat's death transformed our family. It also transformed the animal hospital. When we took Sam to the animal hospital, he died in our arms on the way over. I was dressed in my nightshirt. I didn't care what anybody thought of me. A member of my family was dying. And when we got to the animal hospital, they said, we don't usually lose animals here, and your cat is gone, and it's really upsetting us. And Sarah, who worked there, helped me bathe Sam and clean him up so that I could take him home because all I could do was cry and say I didn't want to see my cat all covered in blood in the morning. I couldn't bear it. I wanted to leave him there if I had to do that because I couldn't wake up in the morning and see my poor cat. So we actually shampooed the cat, dear Sam. We dried his hair. We combed him, and we made him look almost normal. And we wrapped him up in a fresh towel, and we put him in a box, and we took him home. And I cried a lot and screamed a lot at the moon and everything else. But there was, like, no fault. Coyotes were doing what coyotes were doing and cats were doing what they like to do, and that cat would do whatever it felt like. And if I tried to keep it locked up, it wouldn't lock up. It would run. So I want you to know that whatever is happening in your life, like be with what is happening, because as we went through this journey, each of us felt like we couldn't take a step further. It was like too hard. Um, Our neighbors wanted to help us, but it was like late, and they couldn't deal with the fact that the coyote had killed the cat just as we were having trouble with it. And as the morning came by and Sam was all cleaned up and I cleaned out everything of his out of the house because I didn't want to hold on to him. I wanted him to be free to go to the next world, whatever that is for him. My son said goodnight to him and I said, sweetheart, you've, lost, you've, you've used up your last nine of your nine lives and I'm sorry you did it so quickly. I just can hardly stand the fact you're gone. And as we went through this process, In the morning, Judy and Walter showed up, and Walter showed up with bagpipes. And John showed up with his incredible presence, and Judy was there, and Jim and Chris showed up, and we gave that cat a send-off like you wouldn't believe. And because I know so much from Cherie, I put on lavender so that all of his troubles would be healed. I put on helichrism, and I didn't know why. Cherie will tell you. And I put on abundance for the next life. And we anointed him in oil. We wrapped him in this absolutely gorgeous green shawl with gold trim on it. And we had the dogs out there, and they the dogs said goodbye to him. It was the darndest thing you've ever seen. They had this little way they would greet Sam, and they greeted him. And then when they were done, they turned away. It was like we knew it was time to put Sam in the ground, and we'd been told to put him in the ground in a plastic bag, and we didn't want to do that. So we dug a hole and we put cement in the bottom of it. We did eulogies over Sam about how this cat had touched our lives. And then we buried him and John put a cross on top of him and we covered him with dirt. We're still crying about it. At least I am. John's the quiet, silent type. Kind of more like Gary Cooper. Um, but Judy and, and all of us 
we, this cat was a profound thing that we missed. But what we do know is we did it right. We took it up. We didn't miss anything. There wasn't anything we avoided looking at or doing or saying or feeling. We just expressed ourselves. And each one of us agrees that without this cat, we, we had a lot of feelings that were locked up inside of us about life and stuff. And because we took the time to go through this particular thing, every moment, everything, if you could have heard Walter on the balcony, I live on, on a place I call Hill House, playing the bagpipes over the canyon for Sam. It was magic. It was magic and death. I, if I'd left him at the vets the way I wanted to because I didn't want to deal with the rest of this, nobody would have had a chance to grieve and Sam would not have had such a glorious exit. And, you know, what was so strange is that we were, I was holding him and everybody was talking to him and I was just rocking him and telling him how much I loved him and how much I would miss him. His body was warm. And he was definitely dead, but his body stayed warm. And it was just like, it felt like he was glowing from our appreciation of who he had been. So I'm dedicating this segment to Sam. Um, Sam, Sammy Wise, we call him because he was such a wise cat. He was born June the 15th of 2003, and he died on January the 14th of 2006. And we thank you, Sammy. And Cherie, I thought maybe with the essential oils, you might just let people know what helichrysum is. Absolutely. One of the things, Dr. Val, that I really appreciate you saying was you gave him a glorious exit. And oh, that we all could have a glorious exit. That, that, those words are just perfect, absolutely perfect. Um, the reason why, and, and what Dr. Bell shared with me when she called me, um, everyone who's listening, is she didn't know exactly which oil she picked why, but she just kind of felt that that's what she needed to do. And all of us have, have that feeling sometimes, whether you call it a gut feeling or a sense or a knowing. And um, what the oils do is they have life force or live cell activity, and so they will really amp up the volume so that you can hear it, if you will, when you work with the oils, especially the ones that I work with, which are young living oils. Now, let's talk about why helichrysum. Helichrysum, the translation, means health in Christ or health in Christ life or health in Christ light or health in eternal life. Um, and so there's a, a few variations on the translation, but the meaning is all very, very similar, okay? If you translate it into the English, the English name of helichrysum, the plant helichrysum, is everlasting, okay, everlasting. And what's very wonderful about helichrysum is, for example, helichrysum will pull toxic chemicals out of the brain and out of the liver, whether it's mercury, whether it's aluminum, whether it's fluoride, whether it's herbicides and pesticides or cadmium, um, whatever it is, helichrysum taken internally will very gently pull the toxins out of the brain and they also, including aspartame and NutraSweet for people who have brain cancer from drinking diet sodas, for example. Additionally, what it does is it regenerates and rebuilds the damaged nerves simultaneously while it is pulling out the toxins. It is a master communicator with that part of our body which communicates. And I also have a gentleman who I've worked with, and he shared with me that he was having a heart attack. And he took uh, um, three drops of helichrysum 
and put it underneath his tongue. And what happened was the heart attack stopped. He went into the emergency room. This was in Rochester, Minnesota. He went to the Mayo Clinic, went in, obviously, to the emergency room. And, yes, indeed, they said he had blocked arteries, that he was having a heart attack, and that he needed to go through immediate surgical intervention. Well, he didn't want to do that. So what he did was he changed his diet, did some exercise, um, promised his doctor that he would monitor closely, and he started taking this helichrysum oil internally, 20 to 30 drops a day orally. And what he did was in six weeks' time, he completely unblocked his arteries, completely. And when they tested the heart, there was no sign of any damage to the heart on the tests that they did. So that's helichrysum oil, a powerful spiritual oil as well as physical. Um, what I'd like to also share with you is to take on from last week. Last week we talked about lemon oil. And um, in, in drinking lemon oil in the water, how it purifies the blood and keeps your immune system up. And as you heard me talk to Dr. Valerie a little earlier, if you're getting laryngitis, put lemon essential oil directly on your throat and your lymph glands, your whole throat. And then in hot water, not microwaved hot water, but hot water like a teapot hot water, um, Put a few drops of lemon oil as well in that and then just sip on that and you will notice in a very short period of time, anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes, your laryngitis or that scratchy throat will start to dissipate. So that's a little lemon. And then the other oil I'd like to mention today is orange oil. Orange is an outstanding oil to put in water and drink. It's, we call it the happy oil because what orange does is literally increases your happy quotient or your happy factor. There are certain um, in ingredients that your brain, ingredients isn't the right word, but certain enzymes and certain substances that your brain creates that allows you to be happy. And when you use orange essential oil, it increases that, okay? So, like, for example, endorphins is one of them that creates happiness, and when you drink orange oil or take it in capsules or apply it under your nose so you can smell it, orange oil increases your endorphins, and by doing so, it creates extreme happiness. Orange oil also will help support people in lifting out of a depressed place. It's excellent to use if you have really oily, oily skin. Just put it right on the skin. Just keep it away from your eyes. It's fantastic for that. And it is very good antiviral compound, so it keeps those nasty viruses away. So that's orange essential oil. And if and I also, by the way, I cheat a little bit and I make the, the most spectacular organic fudge with dark organic pure cocoa chocolate and orange essential oil. Is that what so, was in the wonderful gifts you sent us? Yes. I'll be ding-danged. I meant to thank you for that. <laughs> that was so cool. Yeah, it was. I you know. little secret maker, you. <laughs> So, well, I like to put a lot of goodness into our, our lives, and there's fun ways to do that. You know what? You are precious, Cherie Ross. I just adore you. <laughs> well, let me tell you, our radio team is pretty spectacular, too, I think. I think so, too, but in this moment, I'm feeling the appreciation of your little chocolatey orange thing that came in the mail. Yeah, I gave everybody stars, stars of homemade fudge, organic fudge with orange oil in it because um, this radio team, they are the stars in my life. And uh, if you if you listen, really listen to this radio station and and to our who we are and what we're about, you you always leave uplifted. When I listen to George or Debbie or Lisa or Dr. Valerie or Maureen, well, if we or, don't hurry up, we're not going to get to listen to oh, um, our diva. God knows so, that we don't want to so miss the diva. If you, 
If, if you'd like to get uplifted, Diva's coming next, and call us at toll-free 866-RADIO-99, or you can also contact us at wakingupinamerica.com. Thank you. And Diva, the next four minutes are yours. And the Diva has some books that she might tell you about if you're really lucky. <laughs> well, thank you. We will. Um, this is Maureen O'Crean for DistinctivelyDiva.com. And today I want to give you a new way to look at yourself in the world. When you think about how you show up in the world, what adjective would you use to describe yourself? Quick now. Don't think about it too long. Are you trendy, stylish, hot, frumpy, energetic, wild, conservative? All of those things are temporary. And usually the words that we use to describe ourselves are of a temporary nature. Today I'd love for you to consider another possibility. Try on the word classic. Who you really are is a classic, Diva. Someone who never goes out of style. What do you have that's classic? Are you a classic beauty? A classic style? Classic loving? classic recipes, classic housekeeper. We all have something classic around us. That means something that will stand the test of time. Many of our attributes are a function of our genetic or experiences, but I want us to find those aspects that are of ourselves that are core, that are never wavering, the things that you can count on no matter what the popular trend of the day. Use your classic trait to create a legacy that lasts for generations to come. Maybe it's your knowledge, like Cherie. Maybe it's your books. Maybe it's your poems. But look inside and find your special gift. My mom was a classic cook, and she passed on hers and my grandmother's recipes to me. What I love about them is that they're in their own handwriting. And when I use them, their classic love is always present for me. Today, create a classic memory for your family and friends. A recipe is easy to do, and in your own handwriting, of course. And you will be remembered forever. Please come and join the Diva community at distinctivelydiva.com. We have tons of fun, free things for you to do and download. Please sign up also for this radio show's mailing list at wakingupinamerica.com and call us with any questions. And we're having a special on the I Am Diva book right now. And if you email us that, we'll be able to give you an autographed copy for the favorite diva in your life for only $12 autographed. So thank you so much. Please call us 866-RADIO-99. And she's such a cool person that she'd probably give you a discount for two. So there you go. You've been listening to Waking Up in America. You've heard our amazing radio team. You've heard Helen Samuels. Um, Come back and visit us next week when Jennifer Butler will be on. This program has been produced by Editors on Air, our radio partners, ConingCompany.com, Dr. James Murphy and Memoriam, 
Our executive producer, Nathan Jett, and thanks to Alan Samuels, our chief technical officer, Pete Laubach, to the team at Voice America, and Bent Meigen for Almost Ordinary People. Next week, invite a friend to listen and um, share a little love this week. Thanks for listening. Now your heart is open. This is for all, all of your crazy schemes, love and dreams, and the time you spoke them. Thank you for joining us today for Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. Waking Up in America can be heard live every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific Time on voiceamerica.com, and Valerie welcomes all emails at heavenincorporated.com. Almost ordinary people.